art on your sleeve. Welcome to Art on Your Sleeve, episode 16, a podcast about art, design and music. Firstly, I just wanted to thank everybody that stayed in touch through the Facebook group, which you can find by searching for Art on Your Sleeve podcast, unsurprisingly. It's a friendly group that continues to grow and it's a great place to share images and facts that are relevant to the artists that I write about for Classic Pop magazine and that I also talk about and with in this podcast. So please do join. A link to the Facebook group and many of the things covered in this episode can be found in the show notes and images, which can be found on my website at softoctopus.co.uk. Just look for the podcast. So what's this episode all about? I think we're all a bit zoomed out this far into the pandemic, and this is partly why there's been a delay between the last season of Art on Your Sleeve and this. Most of us are spending a lot of time working and socialising through computer screens, but I'd much rather conduct interviews face-to-face by visiting people in their creative spaces to get a better insight into the working process. Online's a good temporary solution, but this is hopefully my penultimate podcast that will be recorded online. The next one should be online next week and is a supplement to a pop art feature that I wrote for Classic Pop a couple of years ago with a legend of record sleeve design. So there's a teaser for you. After that, I have plenty of interviews scheduled in with many amazing designers and I look forward to heading out into the world again. Meanwhile, in this episode, I've steered off course a little to try something different. Eurovision Song Contest is one of the biggest musical shows in the world and it now has a global audience of around 200 million. I find it fascinating for a number of reasons. Here are just three. One, it's a great one-stop shop to dip one's toe into an international catalogue of pop, much of it by artists who represent the cream of the crop for their country. Two, it's a tradition that I grew up with and nostalgia is a consistent theme that runs through much of what I write and podcast about. And three, I love design and it's fascinating to see how much each year a country can take the same brief to devise a unique theme that's culturally significant to the host country whilst at the same time also manages to unite an international audience. This is an awesome branding challenge that should not be underestimated and over the years there have been plenty of beautiful designs created for the show that is now 65 years old but looks and often sounds as fresh as a daisy. I can't abide musical snobbery and don't believe in guilty pleasures. We like what we like and it's at its purest and most honest when we don't care what people think. This is how I feel about Eurovision. Like anything, it's a mixed bag of quality, but the package as a whole is a lot of fun and right now, more than ever, we could do with more things that we just simply enjoy. Over the years, more than 1,500 songs have represented more than 50 countries at the contest. That's a lot of music and a lot of records released around the world. For this episode of Art on Your Sleeve, I thought it might be nice to trail this year's contest by looking back at some of the best examples of sleeve design for records you may or may not be familiar with. I'm definitely not a Eurovision expert, so I invited a couple of guests to help me with this episode. Eddie D'Souza and Lucy Percy. 
both have relevant backgrounds including working in the arts and Eurovision blogging respectively. So I'll stop the intro here and drop into our conversation. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, as I'm the host of the Art on Your Sleeve podcast, I will go first with my first choice. And it's a very, very obvious one that everyone will know. really liked about about Gina G at Eurovision was the way that in some ways that song helped change people's opinions of the contest you know previously most people thought it was all about kind of boom banger bang and gimmicks and stuff and it was just an incredibly great pop song wasn't it it was really good and I know what you mean and it kind of if you look at the 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 UK period kind of 95 to 98 there was a real it feels like we were pulling a Europe along with us. Yes, yeah. The contest, and yeah, so is it the last UK single to go, the last entry to go to number one in the UK, I think? Is it the last UK song to even get in the charts? <laughs> <laughs> I was born in 1991, so this song is like the soundtrack to my childhood, like uh, school discos and everything, you know, when you're like primary school and that. And I think kind of, it hits so many audiences because it hit the younger people kind of at that time, but it also was just like a really fun song. Even now, like, I mean, I'm nearly 30 and it just still absolutely slaps kind of later on. And it kind of, it, I think it kind of, it works for all ages, this song. It's just such high energy. I think what's also good about it is it's still, like you said, Lucy, it's still a great pop song and, and it's very much of its time, but it's also in lots of ways timeless in that people will still get up and dance to it and still enjoy it. It doesn't feel it doesn't feel cheesy in that way. It still feels like a credible pop song. And everything about the package, you know, in, in terms of the photography and the design and the typography on it is all very much of its time as well but the people that, that were behind that were quite they had quite a cool collection of uh, creatives working on on the whole Gina G project from a visual as well as musical perspective uh, so Matt Maitland who is the, the the person who did the graphics for it and used the photography of Lorenzo Agius I think it's pronounced he's done tons of stuff for some really cool people like um, the Sugar, Sugar Babe Basement Jacks 808 State Mark Harmon Goldfrapp and even Prince Michael Jackson Mark Ronson and Elton John so you know he's worked with real A-listers since that project and you know this is an early piece of work of his but it just goes to show that uh, the record label really had a lot of um creative investment in her as an artist you know they wanted to work with the best designers and the best photographers and it's a shame it didn't do do better at the Eurovision Song Contest but as we all know it she didn't quite perform as well as she could have done on the night did she? She didn't and I think it's that it's funny it's how if you think about Eurovision now and just well the music scene in general we just hear heard her lip sync it all the way through um, and we're used to this banging you know pop track and yeah lucy not to age us but i was in the i was in the first year of university when it was was it happening <laughs> and i just remember my first year or the summer parties it playing played everywhere so kind of echoing you with a slight age difference um but then yes that fateful night she had to sing it live and it was just a bit different i mean i don't think it was bad but we just we were used to that very well polished track 
and it was slightly different. Even that fantastic Paco Rabanne dress couldn't save her on the night, could it? I mean, that is a look <laughs> served in that dress. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ed, Eddie, you said you were at university. Did you say you just started then? So, yes, yeah, so May 96 was the end of my first year. Right. So so your your first choice for your song is from around that same period, isn't it? So it is so, um, and it links back to how you introduce your track, Andrew. So um, Love City Groove, our, our UK entry for, for 1995. And um, as I said, this was the start of a, a change for the UK. We kind of had done, you know, some one singer entries. And if you look back at those covers, it's very much focused on showing that it represented Eurovision. Yeah. Kind of look at the next four in a package, and I include yours in this. It's really looking at how it changed and was appealing to the mainstream. Yes, yeah. But for me, it was it was the simplicity of it in terms of the the colourful heart. Maybe playing to kind of showing reverence to the LGBTQ audience, which Eurovision is based on. Mm. But it was just so simplistic, and it kind of for me it really brought, especially that middle part of the '90s, kind of Eurovision more mainstream. Yes, I'd mm. agree. And so that's why it kind of really meant a lot to me because just I'd love it as a poster or a piece of art as well. It's kind of the, one of those things where, um, yeah, it's trying to do a lot of different things. And actually it did it really in terms of simplicity, not showing it's Eurovision but while trying to be Eurovision. Um, and I mean, no matter what you think, it was a good pop song and it did, as I say, kind of progress the UK into into thinking a bit differently. So that's why it kind of, it really resonates with me. Weirdly, actually, I only really discovered this one kind of because Eurovision again, the essentially the parties where we were watching older contests on a Saturday night through lockdown. Um, because of that, I did end up watching a lot more older contests. I've never really watched the 90s much, just like 97 and that. Um, but I was really glad because actually 90s is my favourite decade of Eurovision now. And I think this is one of the highlights for me, this and Francis Raphael. Like, I just think it's such... It, I, it's everything I wish the BBC would do now, which I think Embers is a step towards, but it's so of it. So it's like so modern for its time. It's like thinking ahead of the box. And they continued that kind of with Imani and coming out with something that is so relevant at the time for Eurovision. And it's just like, I appreciate kind of looking back on it now, the outfits and things. Why <laughs> it is just very 90s, but back then, I mean, I was, I'm assuming, because again, born in 91, but I'm assuming it was quite cool. And it, it's, it just looks kind of awesome now in like a nostalgic way. And it's, I, I wish that they would go for something that risky again, um, like in a modern day contest. It's, to me, it kind of feels like what Channel 4 would send if they were in charge of Eurovision for the UK. It's It's got a bit more edge to it, and it's just awesome. I love it. Is it those colours on the um, the record sleeve that are giving you Channel 4 vibes there, Lucy? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I actually always thought that was a bit of a pastiche of, of Apple, you know, the original Apple logo that had the, rain, the rainbow stripes through it. And then they used to just write Think Different underneath it. And I, I always thought it was almost like a, a, a visual homage to, to um, the original Apple logo. But I agree with you, it also set the stage again in terms of 
this wasn't a traditional Eurovision song and it did kind of kind of open the doors and kind of say we want to try something a bit different mm. um, and that came across in both the song choice and and the uh, and the single sleeve so yeah fair play to the BBC in 95. So Lucy over to you for your first choice. So my first choice is not from the UK um, in fact none of mine are but um, this one is kind of a uh, more recent contest. It's Norway from 2016. Agnetta with Icebreaker. Um, so the reason kind of why I've chosen this one is even though it wasn't like in my top five particularly that year, I think it was one that's like really stuck with me because it's so different to anything we've really, you don't get it very often where you've got the fast paced verses and then it just takes into that drop. It's like such an unexpected chorus when you're listening to it. I just thought it was something so different for Eurovision to have like a totally different tempo because like I said before, we just don't get that very often. And it was just such a unique thing for the contest. Uh, this is a song I'd completely forgotten about. Um, <laughs> and and, it's, and I did actually quite like it at the time. And I remember being quite surprised that it didn't qualify because I think it was probably, you know, up there in my top 10, 15 or something, and it didn't qualify. But, but looking back on it, I, I went back through all of the songs that we've all picked just to sort of look at them and... Um, Refamiliarize myself, and uh, yeah, it's. I think it's a it's a decent song, and that, like you said, with the way it goes fast and it goes slow, it's quite an unusual um, composition as well. The the design of it's a bit dour, though, isn't it? When you look at the, did you have you seen the the sleeve of it? Yeah. So kind of when I looked at the sleeve, the reason why I picked this one specifically is the sleeve tells the story of the song really well. I think. It has the ice crackling behind it, but it's really subtle. So it isn't like, it's letting you know it isn't as brutal as maybe like some of the imagery would indicate kind of going into it. And I think it's just really pretty. I quite like it. It's very simple, mm. it, admittedly, it's extremely simple, but I quite like like a more minimalist album sleeve. But my favorite album sleeve of all time is the XX's, um, self-titled album it's just literally a white cross and a black background but the way it's done is really gorgeous yeah and I like that kind of minimalism and I think this did that really well because it kind of fed into like this dark blue color and it's got you know it's got the frostiness to it it's still quite feminine and delicate I remember being at the contest and and it, it was that different pace and normally us Eurovision fans are are used to the classic slow start drop a beat and then off we go um whereas this kind of play reversed it on its head and it's one that i've grown to love afterwards mm. um but i see what you mean lucy i just uh in terms of the the cover it does it does reflect it it's just uh, yeah it's just a shame we don't know anything more about it well moving on from um subtlety 
and <laughs> and and cool. Well, no, my my next choice is cool as well, but it's far from subtle. And it's and the, ex the examples that we've talked about previously don't sort of wear their Eurovision credentials on their sleeve particularly. But this one is very much a, a UK entry, and it's got that classic Union Jack branding all over it. But what I particularly like about it is the treatment. My choice is um, Francis Ruffell's Lonely Symphony. Walking to the box. Your secrets out, time for confession. Purify your soul, denounce the devil from within. No time for aggression. This is a song that I discovered much later on because during that the period of that this was out, which was, what was it? Uh, what year was this? It was 1994, yeah. I wasn't particularly a fan of Eurovision. And I only discovered this when I got into the, into it in the sort of late 90s. And I, I really like this song. I love it. I think it's a really credible pop song again. Um, and I think that the sleeve again reflects that that the credibility of the music and the the, the songwriting skills. I, and again, it's another example of uh, a record company wanting to work with a designer who was very much of that period, who was designing stuff for other artists in the pop charts and was given a lot of um, freedom. I can imagine he was possibly told to somehow get a UK reference into it visually, but the way that he did it, I'm talking particularly about Pete Barrett here who worked on the sleeve design with Andrew Biscom. Um, I like the way he kind of went for that punk aesthetic, very much that, that look of the mid, mid to late seventies where everything was torn up and ripped and distressed. And even she's dressed, you know, it looks like she's got some sort of um, almost Vivian Westwood-esque shredded clothing on and it kind of complements the design really nicely. Um, and, and he's a designer who's worked with loads of artists again, George Michael, Prefab Sprout, Madonna, Bronski Beat, Dexy's Midnight Runners, Simply Red, you know, lots and lots of people. And I, I interviewed him for Classic Pop magazine and, and did actually mention this particular record sleeve, uh, which he, he, he almost forgotten about himself. I think he said something along the lines of, you're the only person who's ever asked me about this design. But what he did say as well was that she was very up for doing something a bit different. She wants to be visually presented in, in a, a slightly odd way, you know, and not the sort of traditional Eurovision package, which I think all of the selections we've made all sort of tick that box really for it to greater or lesser degrees. But um, yeah, I just really like the design of it. I like the song and uh, I also like the designer. He was a very nice man when I interviewed him. He lives in Australia now. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, Lonely Symphony by Francis Ruffell. What, what are your feelings on it? I I really like it because it does it portrays the song really well, and I I kind of feel if you if you'd enlarged her background and not had the Union Jack, that would have still been a great cover. This really shows the artist that Francis is and the the kind of the, the feeling of the song. So I think it portrays it really well, actually. It's got a kind of cool Britannia aesthetic, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. And uh, uh, she could sing. She did a great performance. And I think the song, I don't know why. Uh, I still rate it as a song and probably think it would do good nowadays. But it's just, I don't know, sometimes Europe has a feeling what it wants and it just wasn't this. But again, 10th place, still uh, still a good placing. She was. She's a huge Broadway star. 
And so for the BBC to bring someone like her in was like, a, it's quite a cool thing, really. Mm. But they kind of managed to get someone really in their prime as well. And of course, like her daughter's gone on to have a half decent music career. Her daughter is Eliza Doolittle. Mm. Um, not sure what her real name is, but her stage name being <laughs> Eliza Doolittle. So talent in the family there. Mm. But um, no, I think this song is just magic again. It's another one of my favorite ever UK entries. I think it's really stunning. Um, it's again just something I wish the UK would do now is go with something that we're good at and maybe something a bit more left field because I don't think it is generic in any way this song I think it's got a real magical quality to it hey hey sister do you believe in the things we dream we discover I still have faith I still believe The next one I picked is our uh, 2018 UK entry, um, which was Storm by Suri. And the reason this this kind of cover resonated with me was it was one of the songs where you hear the title and you can kind of see in the artwork that there's... Andrew, I'm sure you'll give me a technical term for, for how her picture's been kind of lined up and, and had things done to her. But the way her position is kind of represents the words to me um, in terms of how she was talking to each part of her family and how things were going to be all right. You know, storms won't last forever. But this was a very simple cover. Um, no words, doesn't tell you who she is, but actually you get quite a bit from the cover about the song, which I which I really liked. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's not wanting to try too hard, isn't it? It's like, you know, I always think that it's a very brave step for people, for artists not to put any um, wording on a record cover. And especially for a Eurovision song, you know, if you think about how literal things are often, you know, with the Union Jack or, or gigantic lettering or something very literal visually there to represent it. This is a very stylish uh, representation of, of the song itself. She looks great on it. I love the... Uh, the, the Photoshop filters and stuff and the cutouts sort of effects that are on it. Uh, it's it's a, just a really nice sleeve. And I, have a, a, I really like this song. I don't know if it's if it's because it was the year that I went to Eurovision you know, and I have fond memories of Portugal. And then of course, what happened to poor Suri herself on the night. For people who don't know, um, she, she had a stage invader and it's sort of, it must have thrown her off, but she just carried on and didn't even demand a, a re-sing, which, I thought she would have done, but um, for all of those reasons and many more, I think I think it's a good choice. And 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 as much as people criticise this song and don't like it, I think it's a great song as well. It's a really lovely song, and actually, um, uh, time to get my geekdom on. When she when she came to the UK final the following year, she did a stripped back version on piano with some strings, and I love the sentiment of the song, and I always have. And I kind of think that was the version that should have gone to Eurovision. It was leading towards Katrina's anthemic ways in terms mm -hmm. of really rousing, but it just missed the mark slightly. But still, I agree. It was a great song and, and great memories of her um, uh, at Eurovision. And she's been a great ambassador and, you know, she's done sing-alongs while we've all been in lockdown. So one of the one of the people to kind of see the, the what Eurovision can do for you after you've been to the song contest. So, yeah, really great, Suri. I'm not gonna lie, it wasn't my favorite to win that night. It was 
more like my fourth out of six at six at the time and I wasn't delighted when it won the national final but Suri herself is so wonderful mm. on every level she's just absolutely exquisite as a human being and her enthusiasm like you say like it stayed kind of going on and like a few years later she's still such a great ambassador for it you know and she's um she's been very open actually about her experience kind of afterwards when so I was actually like lucky enough to interview her a couple of times and on one of them you know she really opened up and we were talking about the process on how the BBC choose their singers and choose their songs and put them together and she was hoping the future would be she correctly predicted where they would focus on singer songwriters people to actually write their own songs because Suri is the perfect example of why we should have people like James Newman writing their own song it is so much more authentic because Suri is way more capable of doing better music than Storm but it's really great that I think afterwards she's very authentically her and she took what she could from this and made it authentically her. Like the album cover is just, you know, it's got those feminine kind of purples and pinks on it. But then it's really, it's just very cool. And it's it's not something we see often. Uh-huh. I mean, we were saying earlier on about modern UK album entries, Bruce Jones and Michael Rice. This is the exception, I think. Kind of, it's by far the most classy and relevant album cover. Yeah. Mm. I think in terms of the, the, the BBC changing its approach to Eurovision, it's just, for me, it just feels like it's a giant ship and it's going to take decades to turn it around, really. It's funny that we're in Rotterdam this year because if you want to have a look at the country that's turned things around, yeah. then the Netherlands is is the classic example. And I think they, you know, what, tw- I'm going to say eight years they didn't qualify, maybe nine. Mm. Um, and then they attracted a nuke. And uh, recommend that anybody listening to this goes and listens to Birds by Anouk because it was, well, two great memories for me. One, it was my first live Eurovision, but two, you would never think it was a Eurovision song. Um, And it's quite in its lyrics about basically it's about the fallout of nuclear war and the effect on birds. And they just, she's a big artist. She's a huge artist in the Netherlands. And they turn that ship around kind of going, you don't need to enter a Eurovision song. And you don't need to, you know, have dancers and fireworks. Just sell the song and, and, and as Lucy said, as Belgian do it, make it about the artist. choice is Blanche City Lights. To kind of just discuss the album cover, it's a very, it's almost like Versailles looking a little bit, kind of when you, her whole aesthetic, she was around these really grand buildings and she just took these florals and did this really stunning, um, essentially a marketing campaign around you know, she's a young woman. She's She was 17 years old when she went to Eurovision. And I think it's such a nice contrast to maybe the sound of her song. You know, the song's called City Lights, yet she was in florals in something like a, a grand estate of some kind. And 
I just think it contrasts so nicely to the song in a way because you have this delicate kind of but powerful young woman on the album cover but then her vocals were extremely low in tone um, in register compared to your average female singer potentially and it was quite a simple sound but it was really modern um, and I mean the stylizing on the album cover where it, it just says Blanche and this white neon writing it's um it's really really stunning and it's not got I mean the cheap option or the 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 easy target kind of for what you want to go for is a city backdrop but they actually opted to do the exact opposite of that and so it yeah, I just think it was a it's a cool marketing campaign because I think it does appeal to both younger and older people, this kind of design. I do think that the staging was horrific. I'm gonna call it <laughs> as it is. It was not good. Um they they kind of probably should have stuck with this kind of vibe with the staging, and I don't get why they went for completely the opposite, because when the i mean don't she obviously did well because she came forth but with the press room i remember watching live streams of whatever fan site i was watching and the whole press room went oh and she wasn't quite ready maybe yeah there's something a bit a bit unusual and quirky about the design of it and i agree on the night it just fell flat somehow and it was a i was I remember at the time a lot of people I knew had this as one of their favourite songs and I suppose a bit like Gina G, it's sort of, we, we, we expected more of it and on the night it just sort of fizzled out really, which was a shame. It, I really like what Lucy said because I look at the, the cover and I kind of, uh, you know, having followed Blanche since, I really, as Lucy said, you get a sense of who she is. Again, it would be, I'd love it as a poster. It's kind of really, I really love the artwork. You could imagine it in front of well-known for example, H and M or something, as as the, you know, it, it's kind of again trying to speak to to lots of people, um, but really simple design and really showing who she is. My third choice is another band that at the time there was a big investment in them from the, whether it was, I don't know if it's the BBC or the record label or whatever, but I felt Precious, who represented the UK in 1999, yeah, um, felt like a proper girl band. It felt like the, I thought the song was very much of the time and it was catchy and the design of the sleeve was again very much of its time as well it felt very complimentary and it looked like there was a concept behind it and and i've actually again it's another uh, the people who designed it it's a couple called form and they are paul west and paula benson who have designed for lots and lots of people again there's a theme with all of mine so they've done things for e17 everything but the girl depeche mode heaven 17 and Deuce, the Eurovision Connection, and Girls Aloud as well. And I think that it looked like it meant business. It looked like we were sending a proper girl band to Eurovision. I know it didn't work on the night, but I think that the, the design of it 
did everything it needed to do. It felt like a very strong, graphic, confident campaign behind them. And I really liked the logos that, that, that Form came up with, various different sort of five-sided angular things to represent the sort of five aspects of the band and the five sections of equality that, you know, it was five women all doing it for themselves. I thought it was quite a strong concept. Uh, but I think it's interesting that, you know, they were, they were working with great designers, great photographers, and it's, again, unfortunately, didn't pay off, but I still quite like it as a song. It came on on a playlist recently, and I found myself singing along to it. It's, it's still a decent pop song. Exactly. I really, again, really like it. Again, um, kind of refreshing myself to what these, these covers look like. And I think, yeah, 99, I could imagine, again, kind of post or mid-uni days, there were various covers that looked quite similar in terms of that that style. And yeah. I do remember their second song, which was called Rewind, um, which was in early 2000. So again, got to number 11 in the charts. So they were really heading somewhere. And if you look at the video and how much effort they put into that, you'd think Britney Backstreet Boys type thing, because it really yeah. was a massive production. And it's a shame that it didn't go anywhere for them. So because... You know, if you look at it now, and especially the the Say It Again cover, they really were, again, as the, as we were saying before, the UK trying to lead the way. And it's funny, the, the version of the song that won, would it be the Great British Song Contest as it was in those days? I think so, yeah. Compared to the version that was uh, that was put on the CD, again, it felt like the BBC and the, they were trying to pull it forward because it was very middle of the road in the national final. Yeah. And then again, a much better edit uh, once we got there. Do you remember much about this song, Lucy? Oh, do I? So, <laughs> I, um, I promise I'm not making this up. This is the first ever single I ever bought in my life. Eight years old. And I feel like that kind of really hits the demographic there. Um, I remember I persuaded my dad to kind of get me it. It was the first single, I, I think it must have been my pocket money or something. Um, yeah, I I listened to this to death and I, I think my family were really sick of it um, after a few weeks. And weirdly, it's not because it was in Eurovision that I loved it. I think I'd heard it on the radio. It'd been on at the car or something. It wasn't because of the Eurovision connection. My obsession came later down the line because of Sarlen in 2003. So I just love this song anyway. Um, but yeah, no, this song, this song is a big part of my childhood. 1999 Eurovision in general is, because when Charlotte Pirelli won, I wrote a poem called Sweden Won, which my dad still has and is threatening to read out at my wedding. Oh, he must, I hope he does. Oh, <laughs> he will, and you'll be there for it, Andrew. <laughs> your final choice so for my final choice i've left our dear shores and headed to uh, to the powerhouses of eurovision at the moment which is sweden and i've chosen the worrying kind by the ark which was their uh 2007 entry and there's a kind of there's a great story which leads them up into to this moment so um the ark uh 
you kind of call them a glam rock band, if I was to use that terminology. And they kind of started in the early 90s and they were really building themselves. And uh, 2006, they actually went to America and they were going to launch in America. There was so much um, positive energy behind them, shall I say. And unfortunately, their lead singer um, made quite a bad comment when they arrived in America. So they were doing this press junket something and this plane flew overhead and he, Ola Stalo, who's the, the lead singer, quite a joker. Um, and he said, uh, well, you never know in this country where these planes are heading, right? Oh, Jesus. And that destroyed them in America. They kind of left in shame in 2006. And, uh, you know, he he apologised, but that was the, the end of their, their path, so to speak. So late 2006, when they get a call from SVT to, you know, will you come and be in Melody Festival, which is the, the Swedish equivalent of Song for Europe in those days. Um, and uh, and they took it. And uh, Krista Bjorkman, who is uh, or was the, the head of Melody Festival in Sweden, he often talks about how the arc getting to Melody Festival was a highlight for him because in Sweden they were, you know, the massive band. They're, you know, we're talking about the equivalent of take that, take that, competing for the UK that's what he felt and so you know they came to Eurovision in 2007 you know walked through and got uh, chosen and why I love this cover is they just remain true to who they are so even without me telling you you know they're kind of glam rock you from the album cover uh, sorry from the single cover you kind of get a sense of what they're about you know they didn't think how can we make this more accessible to your you know Eurovision audiences um they sold it and it's a cracking song. I love it because it's just something you don't expect from, from Eurovision in the mid noughties. But it was for me, Sweden being the, the pop factory that it is in terms of either Schlager ballads or, you know, up-tempo disco songs. It was just something a bit different and I really rate that they went for it and went for, um, I know the band doesn't exist anymore, but they've still got a huge following across Sweden. So I really, that's why, yeah, that's why I chose the the, the cover. It was a it was a wow moment on the night. I remember it was it wasn't a song I'd been that familiar with, and when it came on that night, it, was, it did stand out with all of that kind of glam rock posturing that they did. And I agree, the there's, there's, the single sort of references that with its sort of angular, flashy '70s style graphics. So, Lucy, what is your final choice? I'm going back to 2017 and I do think this is probably the better of my three, one of the more iconic and meaningful covers and that is Occidentale's Karma by Francesco Gabbani, which was Italy's entry in 2017. <laughs> juggernaut of a hit in the home country I, I believe it became the fastest selling song ever in Italian history after it won San Remo despite not speaking a word of Italian it's pretty clear what's happening in this song in both the music video and the um, album cover so you've got Francesco Gabbani there half in kind of like a Buddhist I don't know the word for it and I really apologize but the the gown or something, whatever he is wearing. He's showing this Buddhist ideology. 
he's kind of got his hand in like a I, again i don't know the technical terms and i really apologize but like the meditative pose yeah um and then the other half is him in a suit kind of looking at his smartphone like taking a selfie <laughs> and so i mean the song title translating to westerners karma and it's about these people who yeah they kind of pretend they're all peace and love and they buy into like buddhist buddhist ideology and things but actually it's about like the modern life of vanity and all the things that actually kind of contradict that buddhist ideology and it's just such a like it's such a cheeky album cover and he's got he's, he's got this bright orange theme on it uh, kind of on the other half as well and the music video had him I mean, I think there were points where I was a bit like, ooh, is this cultural appropriation? But I don't think it... <laughs> there was a moment where I was a bit like, yeah, but kind of when you learn more about the song, it's you realise kind of what... He's actually taking the mick out of Westerners who try to steal that ideology, who try to imitate it and get it completely wrong. Um, and I just think it was a really clever message and i don't think we've had such a deep meaning at eurovision before quite done that way but to to go back to the actual sleeve of the single yeah. flawless i think it's an, a, a gorgeous image um f- photographed by chiara mirelli who's a fantastic photographer and it and it is a fantastic photograph um the whole campaign was just brilliant at this this was probably probably the last um, CD single I've bought f- for Eurovision and, you know, and I, I had it imported from Italy because I it came in a lovely bright orange box with a free t-shirt with a monkey on it and all that and I just think that in terms of um, graphic design and and a promotional campaign it was it was perfect it was really really stylish well done and and I had a, a coolness about it that despite the gimmicks and the dancing monkeys and all of the flashy graphics it just came across as really stylish i love it uh the concept and the the kind of you know the the tones being swapped in in his outfit and i i reflect on what lucy said in terms of san remo it was just him and the monkey there's a sentence i didn't think i'd say today um, <laughs> um which kind of really worked and i i kind of wish some of this cover had been translated onto stage mm. in terms of really getting the song across but of course i'm sure he didn't want to go for the the dual aspect outfit as uh, Jacques Houdet would have <laughs> a couple of songs later would be mirroring that. But I wish he'd been on his own. So the same way that Salvador Sobral was just on that little stage, just singing there. I think he would have, he would have got the song across better on his own. Mm. So uh, the less is more type uh, type thing, but I love it as a, uh, I can see why you love it, Andrew. I just think it's really classy and gets over really get well what the song is again. Um, both in terms of the, the the design of it and what he's wearing, um, but yep, still a still a cracking track, still one to dance to. I want to give big thanks to Lucy and Eddie for helping me with this episode. I appreciate that for my regular listeners, Eurovision is possibly a little bit off topic and niche for your interests, but I do hope there was something in there that was of interest. And for new listeners, the Eurovision fans. 
I hope you found it interesting too. I understand that design isn't necessarily something that's often talked about with Eurovision, but it is a big component of it. And as I said in the in the podcast, it was one of the things that actually got me interested in the competition. So thanks for listening. Hope everyone enjoyed it and I'll be back soon. Bye bye.